welcome to this very special Christmas episode of What. What is a part documentary, part competition podcast where a duo or a trio of friends tell each other a very exciting, interesting story from time and or space. And at the end, we sort of judge a winner, but the points don't really matter too much. But today's episode is going to be slightly different. I asked you guys last week on the podcast and through social media what your favorite topics of 2020 were. And thank you so much to everyone who responded. I've picked three from your suggestions that I think work really, really, really well together. And I'm so excited for you to hear them again. So today you're going to be listening to myself. I'm Ellie Main. I'm the host every week. And my co-host is the one and only Chelsea Harfouche. She'll be there. And we're also going to hear the voices of Miles Luna, Elisa D'Agostino and Mitch Donahue. I just want to say a special message to anyone in tier four here in the UK. If you haven't heard, the UK recently imposed some tighter restrictions in certain areas for coronavirus, which has impacted loads of people's Christmas plans. And so many people are either going to be on their own for the first time or not be able to see certain friends and family. And it's really shit. To be honest, it's it's sad and it sucks. And I'm also in tier four, so I get it. It's not ideal at all. So I just really, really wanted to bring you an extra special, extra fun episode, hopefully to put a smile on your face if you've been affected by that. And just for everyone else as well, I hope you have a really, really happy Christmas, a very Merry Christmas, and enjoy these topics. A special shout out for the amazing Christmas theme tune arranged by my dad, Chris Main. And if you would like to hear a topic by Chris Main, you can go back and check out the one about sailing around the world. It's very good. But here we go. Here is the Christmas compilation number one. There'll be another one next week because this was so fun to do. I hope you enjoy and off we go. I'm going to go first. She's going first. My title is You're Glowing, Doll. <laughs> Ooh. Mm-hmm. Uh, radioactive okay. Women. She-Hulk. It's Does the She-Hulk. accent have anything to do with it? Yes, and the verbiage. My choice of slang. Say again, oh, so please. it's like from the 40s? That's why I said yeah, radioactive. Yeah, it's glow and dull. Yeah, it's very transatlantic. It's a very Casablanca. Yeah. He's looking at you, kid mamba. He's looking at you, all the time. Did you know that that was an ad lib? I'm just going to throw that out there. That was an ad lib. I did not. Yeah, it's fact bang. Fact bang over here. Fact bang. Bring it down. Yeah, he used to call her kid. He used to play poker in between scenes. And then that was like his nickname for her on set. So he just said it in the scene. And then in the scene, he did it. And it made it like so much more emotional. Okay, I'm sorry. Can you repeat your title? Yes. It's You're Glowing, Doll. See, here's my theory, mm-hmm. and she has basically said no, but I'm, nevertheless, I persisted. Uh, it sounds a transatlantic, it sounds 40s, they said dole, and she said glowing, and I think it's women that worked with like radioactive stuff and bombs in the 40s. So close. Fuck. So close. Wow. No, but like, so close. <laughs> I'm going to take it. Oh my God, Ellie's going first. So my topic is about the Radium Girls. Have either of you guys heard about the Radium Girls? No. I've literally only heard that phrase. I don't know anything about it. Well, we're about to go down a bit of a political and health-related conspiracy slash definitely happened slash legal case. It's all my favorite things wrapped up in one thing. Oh my God. And I feel like I'm so excited. You're going to like this. It feels very Aaron Brockovich. It's a little Aaron Brockovich, yeah. That's a little bit of Brock. We're talking about women. We're talking about breakthroughs. And then there's like a little bit of gross stuff, which is (gasps) my kind of area. Oh my God, keep it gross. My area is gross. (laughs) (laughs) No, that's also a shirt. Happy, happy happy women's (laughs) treatment. My area is gross. (laughs) 
Oh my god. Oh. Okay, wait. Can we just women's because I should say I think it, it right. Is Women's History Month, I think. It's oh, international women's history. Well, because International Day of the Women is this month. March. Which I think what you're thinking I'm just of. googling yeah. March and women. women. March Women's History Month. Yeah, it's Women's History Month. Women's uh, History. Month. Why did I think it was International Women's Month? Because International Day of the Woman is this month, and ah. that's the thing that kind of has bigger, like that you see on Twitter and yep. stuff more. That's than, the hook uh, of it. I'm gonna crack on. Please do. I'm so sorry. So the Radium Girls. God, I'm so sorry. Let me tell you this pretty harrowing tale that does have kind of a happy ending. We'll get there. You'll see. So from 1917 to 1926, the U.S. Radium Corporation, of course, was engaged in the extraction and purification of radium to produce luminous paints, which were marketed under the brand name Undark. <laughs> Undark. Undark. The U.S. Radium was a major supply of radioluminescent watches for the military uh. because radium glows. <gasps> so they would paint the numbers of watches so you could see the numbers on the watch. That happened in the 1920s? Yeah. Mm-hmm. From 1917 to 1926. It's a really bad understanding of time. So that seems crazy to me. Right. Pretty it wild. Was, it was 100 years ago. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Exactly. Yeah. Over 100 years ago. But here's the thing. Was that radium was marketed as being good for you. <laughs> oh no you could buy radium water radium face cream <gasps> radium toothpaste and even radium brand creamery butter are you saying uh radium was the vaping of the 1920s kind of like not all the products actually had the very expensive precious radioactive radium. element um but they uh but the evocation of radium gave them this healthful glow doctors used radium to treat everything from colds to cancer oh my god yeah well, i mean aren't we st we're still using radium for cancer though right yes yeah but back in that day, it was like, you got a toothache? Radium. Hell yeah. Eye hurts? Headache? Radium. Mm -hmm. God, it must have been so fucking metal to be alive in the 20s and just be like cocaine and radiation for everything. <laughs> like, no, wait, hey. wait a second. Am I not imagining right? Is radium the same as radiation? Radium is a radioactive element. Thank you. Okay. It's a, it's on okay. the periodic table. So it's <gasps> oh, a, yeah. That makes so sense. that makes it science. Yeah, and that makes <laughs> and that makes science. The U.S. Radium Corporation hired approximately a hundred women to paint watch faces with radium and perform various tasks, all of which included handling radium. Uh, interestingly enough, the owners of these factories and the scientists familiar with the effects of radium carefully avoided any exposure to it themselves. Chemists Funny. at the plant used to uh, use lead screens, masks, and tongs to handle it, but they were like, these women, these oh women can God. just fuck right up. They can hold it, they can throw it around. Oh my God. At the US Radium Corporation, which is the USRC, each of the painters mixed her own paint in a small crucible and then used camel hair brushes to apply the glowing paint onto the dials. Just as a side note, because women's history, the then current rate of pay for painting 250 dials a day was about a penny and a half per dial which is equivalent to 30 cents so here's nothing the, here's the thing the brushes would lose shape after a few strokes so the uh, corporation supervisors encouraged the workers to point the brushes with their lips or use <gasps> their tongues to keep them sharp so oh, they would yes. be paint put their paintbrush in a pot of radium then they would put that paintbrush in their mouth to shape it and then they would paint the uh paint the face of the watch so all these women are still alive today right is this going to be the kind of the fun part they're actually going to be alive for the next 200 <laughs> <Yeah>. years <laughs> because the true nature of radium had been kept from them the radium girls painted their nails teeth and faces for fun with the deadly paint produced at the factory they would quite literally glow so they would go out to the dance halls in the 1920s and listen to some jazz and they would have painted radium onto their teeth so that they shine and they would paint it onto their clothes i so, mean i get it 
Yeah. Because they mean, didn't know it was bad. And that sounds metal yeah. as fuck. What if we right. found out that our like regular eyeshadow did the same thing? Like, but right now we have no idea about it. Right. This author, Kate Moore, wrote a book, The Radium Girls, The Dark Story of America's Shining Women. And she talks about how they thought of it as magical. She says, in the book, I quote the husband of one of the girls who was a dial painter. He writes about seeing her smock from work hanging up in the bedroom, and it gives him the feeling of a ghost bouncing around on the wall. It's haunting that they were later nicknamed the ghost girls because of what happened. After a little while, many of the women began to suffer from anemia, which is not that bad, then some bone fractures, and then necrosis of the jaw, which is a condition oh, now oh. known as radium jaw. Oh, what is that? Oh, no. Chelsea, can you describe to us what necrosis is? Okay. The prefix nec, so N-E-C-R, means death. Oh, so when you have necrotic no. tissue or necrosis, it's when you have rapid cell death and it doesn't come back. So, like, for example, frostbite, mm-hmm. when, like, the fingers and toes turn black, that's necrosis. Mm-hmm. It's, like, hypothermic necrosis. Wow. So, so was it, ex- like, in, on the exterior of your jar? Was it, I think maybe it the within... inside. I mean, it was the whole damn wow. thing. Their so, teeth like, start your jaw <sighs> dies from the inside out. Their teeth start to fall out. The jaw bones, brittle and degraded, just <laughs> broke at a super light touch. Their hips locked into place the skin wouldn't heal there was one woman who went to the dentist to pull a tooth and he pulled her entire jaw out what oh Oh my god that is some horror movie shit their legs broke underneath them their spines collapsed the human body it turns out easily mistakes radium for calcium so all that radium the women licked off their paintbrushes actually ended up in their bones like calcium would have so their bones are bombarding their body with radiation from (gasps) the inside out <laughs> pretty bad, pretty, pretty, pretty bad, and and obviously the radium company, the U.S. Radium Corporation, were really cool about it, and uh, um, they oh, sure. paid out easily. It was um, so I was like, no, of course none of that happened. That company and other dial watch companies rejected claims that the afflicted workers were suffering from exposure to radium. For some time, doctors, dentists, and researchers complied with requests from the companies to not release any of their data. About I mean, it radiation. sounds like women's. It sounds like women's weakness. Am I right? <laughs> In yeah. fact, these companies came out and said that it was their fault that they it, actually they had syphilis because they're all whores <gasps> and oh, that's why they were falling apart cheese and fries so they tried to smear the reputation of the women and it worked the US Radium Corporation was in New Jersey and everyone no of one believed of course it was yeah no one believed <laughs> Radium and glitter yes I know oh, I mean shit two very bad you just done things. cracked it Elisa <laughs> in New Jersey the story of the abuse perpetrated against the workers is distinguished from most such cases by the fact that the ensuing litigation was covered widely by the media people tried to backlash all over the country but this particular one gained the attention of the media in a really big way so plant worker Grace Fryer decided to sue but it took two years for her to find a lawyer willing to take on the US Radium Corporation she was shunned called a liar um, and even after she found a lawyer the slow moving courts held out for months obviously at their first appearance in court in January 1928 two of the women were bedridden none of them could raise their arms to take mm. an oath five factory workers and we're going to name them Women's History Month here they are Grace Fryer Edna Husman Catherine Schaub and sisters Quinta McDonald and Albina Lloris formerly dubbed the Radium Girls joined in the lawsuit it looked like it was going really really badly that the corporation was going to win and that they weren't going to get any kind of justice until the inventor of the radium dial paint Dr. Sabin A. Von Sashoki died in November becoming the 16th known victim of poisoning by radium dial paint wild so his death the circumstances of his death helped the girls in court massively this is like ugh, just so disgusting when arthur Roder, the president of the usrc was on the stand he was asked what was the first case that you knew of and he said i don't remember the name 
So essentially, Ugh. he killed all these women, and he, he couldn't even remember their names. Couldn't be bothered. I guess he's probably like down in hell, just feeling so unlucky that all this happened before corporations got to be recognized as people by our government. Right. Yeah. <laughs> But, so the case was settled in the autumn of 1928 before the trial was deliberated by the jury and the settlement for each of the radium girls was $10,000, which is about 150000 now. So one half surgery. Unfortunately, most of them ended up spending this money on their own funerals. Oh, um, You said this has a happy ending? It does. The Radium Girl saga holds an important place in the history of both the field of health physics and the labor rights movement. The right of individual workers to sue for damages from corporations due to labor abuse was established as a result of this case specifically. That is good. In the wake of the case, industrial safety standards were demonstrably enhanced. The lawsuit and resulting publicity was a, fa- was a factor in the establishment of occupational disease labor law. Radium dial painters were instructed in proper safety precautions and provided with protective gear. In particular, they no longer shaped paintbrushes by putting them in their freaking mouths Jesus. that's good but radium paint was still used as late as the 1960s there's still people by the way up to like in the mid 70s who still thought that they were lying but it's because of their bravery of pursuing through being publicly and professionally shunned whilst your body falls apart to pursue the law case where we have like law protection of of, of workplaces in general so women's history month hey to the radium girls who uh help to advance labor rights movements yeah that's crazy Ooh. so yeah there's the radium girls wow that is, I, that's rough a little that bit is, harrowing huh oh my god <laughs> i cannot get the visual of a doctor trying to pull a tooth and the whole jaw coming up out of my head. i know i like i'm so macabre that i was like trying to look up photos and most no. of them are like classified uh yeah, yeah. because it's gross I'm going to give you two points right off the bat, one for each X chromosome. Happy Women's History Month. Thank you so much. You're welcome. I'm going to give you another five points because it's expertly researched. Again, as always. Another three points for the (laughs) heebie-jeebies. Thank you. I like to bring those jeebies. But then also, like, again, one point because, like, I'm, like, a little bit, like, nauseated. One point away for nausea. So I think it's a total of a nine. Okay. Thank you so much. Ellie. Yeah. I'm going to give you... I'm going to give you a solid five points right off the bat. Wow. For just finding something that I've never heard of and also an extra point for it being somewhat similar to Aaron Brockovich, which is one of my favorite movies of all time. Great. I love Hell that. Hell yeah. I'll take that. I am going to take off one point. Okay. Just because it made my soul feel real sad. Yeah. Oogie. Yeah. It was Oogie. Yeah. You know? That's fair. That's fair. But then I am going to give you three points for wrapping it up so nicely and also um, I'm not gonna lie I thought that there was gonna be like a twist ending like somebody was a superhero maybe Spider-Man I don't know (laughs) Um, that woman (laughs) was no but an extra three points just for yeah really really well researched and expertly presented oh thank you Uh, Mitch, what's your topic? Uh, my title is A Whale of a Tale That Will Blow You Away. Oh! I'm so here for this. Okay, is it about thongs? Farting. <laughs> <laughs> you got it, Chelsea. That's it. <laughs> the only thing that's coming to mind is that amazing, like, BBC nature moment of the whale flipping through the sea. You know, remember that one? Will he get the whale in the slow motion and he's yeah. done a flip underwater? Yeah, yeah, babe. You yeah. mean like Free Willy? Yeah. No, not that Free Willy. That would have been a great topic. 
my my topic is a sick clip from a bbc documentary i'm gonna screen share check this shit out my my audio only topic it made me go what i thought it'd be great to bring you guys how am i doing podcast listeners check out my favorite youtube video (laughs) but i feel like that's gotta be about big old sea life right am i off am i off paced you're not off pace okay is it about whales it it is about am i am i allowed to guess even though i'm just like a filthy like like a little little podcast gremlin yeah only only if you're not right right only if you're incorrect oh uh, so give it a go is it about thongs I guess it was on me that when Miles insisted that he guessed, it was because he had a guess. <laughs> I guess that, that was crazy of me to think because he had something to say. Yeah. <laughs> I have one more guess, but I need to look something up real quick. Okay, wow. Okay, so what I was looking up is are dolphins whales? And the answer is yes. <laughs> <laughs> Is it about those people who have sex with dolphins? It is not. Oh. like to kick us off i can go first <gasps> yes whoa such courage let's do it all right november 9th 1970 yes off the coast of florence oregon an eight ton 45 foot long sperm whale died and washed up on a beach okay okay so this has never happened there at least in the modern time there's reports going back to the 1800s of dead whales washing up on the beach but all the local authorities were just like what the fuck do we do with this whale no idea (laughs) so they uh were considering burying the whale but i don't know if you've been i've never been to the beach in oregon but i guess the beaches in oregon are very rocky and it's very difficult Mm. to dig and so Mm -hmm. the burying the whale was not an option well they just wanted to bury it like on the beach right there Well, they couldn't move it. It was eight tons. Like, they they couldn't move it. There was, I guess, the way the tide situation was. Their plan was, we're going to bring in, we're going to bring in a dump truck full of sand and one of those tiny crosses and flowers that you see on the side of the highway where someone got into a tragic accident and we're going to call it a day. The sand mountain's going to be the exact shape of a sperm whale. In a lot of instances when this happens, what a lot of, in other communities, what they've done is they've, you know, tied like a tugboat to it and pulled it out Mm. to sea. It drags down, decomposes on the bottom of the ocean, okay. goes on from there. Um, but they didn't do that. So first, they, <laughs> <laughs> so they That's consult great. the Navy on how to handle the creature. Now, Hello, I want to interject me, here. Navy. Yeah, wait, some, hold on. Can you whale. just call the Navy? <laughs> when there's a dead whale on a beach, I guess. This is the 70s. I don't know. They, they, <laughs> they, they contacted the Navy. Okay. They sent out some experts. Now, um, I wanted to kind of talk about for a minute, you know, just what types of uses there are for whale blubber. Sure. You know, <gasps> well, fun fact. Yeah, tell oh, well, that's a fact. They're then. used in the manufacture of leather, soap, no uh, oh. cosmetics. Obviously, they're used to power oil lamps. So there's a lot of uses. Is the fat, the fat of it? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so there's a lot of uses for this. So this dead could, majestic creature. So you could say that, like, a big pile of money washed up on, <laughs> on I this guess so, yeah. Beach. Potentially. Now, it was already decomposing because it had died and drifted ashore, so they wouldn't ah. be able to use all of it, but they could have used some of it. So after consulting with the Navy, the Oregon Highway Patrol, in, in their infinite wisdom, decided that they should blow it up. <gasps> yes! No. Yes! How do you get rid of a whale? One chunk at a time? They enlisted 
uh, Highway Patrol member, 24-year-old George Thornton. No, they, 24 years old? <laughs> yes, hey, boy, they, they I need laid, you to blow up a whale. <laughs> they made him the project manager for this. Oh, um, no! How fucking yeah! A man with an associate's degree. <laughs> he has no explosives training. <laughs> but they like the so, cut of his gym. <laughs> so... You know, the Navy, though, is consulting them. The Navy was like, hey, you got to blow right. this whale up. Okay. Um, there's no way for them to tow it out. This is actually a very common practice with dead whales. Blowing blow them, them up? up? Yes. I mean, but this is the first instance of this happening on American soil. Mm. George decides that the logic is they're going to place a bunch of uh, cases of dynamite all around mm. the underside of the whale. So it would blow it up, and then the seagulls and the crabs would come and take it away. Cool. <laughs> like the, the way the stork delivers a baby. Yeah. They'll just yeah. show up with their recyclable bags and carry yeah. it off. Like Snow White. I was imagining like a little uh, crab scuttling sideways, like with like a little like napkin tied around <laughs> yes. the neck and a little fork Me and too, knife. like a Disney movie. <laughs> yeah, just like ready to shout out. Hello there, sir. Here to pick up the whale. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> I mean, that's essentially what they were planning. So when you blow up a dead whale, there's two <laughs> trains of thought. You either use yeah. a small enough amount of explosives to keep it contained, and it just dislodges itself when the tide comes in and pulls oh. itself out, and then you can tow oh. it out. That makes a lot or of sense. Or you load it up with so much explosives <laughs> that it vaporizes it. <laughs> Holy shit! Oh, now what, now which, one our, which one did our boy want to do? Oh, this is the best part of the story. So George places 20 50-pound cases of dynamite all around the underside of the whale. Now, wait, you think that's a lot of dynamite. Is it not? Yeah, I'm going to yeah, introduce character number two to our story. Yes, we got a fucking ensemble cast here. Local businessman, Walt Eumenhofer, who was in the area. He's actually, uh, he was an executive for Kingsford Charcoal. He was on a sales trip. He had just purchased a brand new Oldsmobile 88 Regency from a dealership that was running a, a promotion. This is a straight up quote. Come get a whale of a deal on a new Oldsmobile. <laughs> yeah. Okay, okay. <laughs> he goes to the beach when they're placing this dynamite because he heard about this story. He's like, this is crazy. Walt is a former sergeant in World War II. And so he actually has extensive explosives knowledge. And he goes and he relays this information to young George Thornton. Hey, you either need a lot or a little, but what you're putting there is right in the middle. You know, it's not, you're putting about literally just not enough. Does this man only speak in like riddles? Not <laughs> or a little, but you're right in the middle. He tells George this, and George basically is just like, "Trust me, I know what I'm doing. I got an <laughs> from Oregon Polytechnical. It's gonna be fine." George is like, "Look." Listen, I've watched Jaws, and the mayor from Jaws is my oh my idol, and I want to grow up to be just like him, okay? With blind confidence and belief in only myself. I'm so glad you segued into Jaws, because oh I'm going to jump to this point. There was a, a local woman, I, I forgot her name, but uh, she was protesting remo the removal of the whale. They were going to blow it up on a Friday, and she wanted them to wait till Monday because she wanted to keep the beaches open so tourists could come and see the dead whale. <laughs> Walt's advice wasn't taken, so he, he quote, told uh, a local re uh, a reporter from Portland who is also a young guy named Paul Lindman. Uh, he came to cover the event, uh, mainly because when he was a brand-new reporter at uh, KATU2, and 
when his boss was like, hey, we need you to go cover this dead whale on a beach. He's like, I don't want that story. And then they're like, well, they're going to blow it up. And he like got on a car and took off. (laughs) Immediately. Why didn't you lead with that? (laughs) Paul interviews Walt while he's leaving the beach. And he's like, uh, you know, where are you going? And he's like, oh, I'm going to get as far away as humanly possible. Oh, no. So Walt goes really far. Now a crowd's gathered. There's about three dozen people on this beach, maybe a quarter mile from the whale. And there's actually footage of this on YouTube. I can send it to you afterwards. It's amazing. They decide to detonate the whale. The explosion happens after a countdown by dozens of onlookers. (laughs) Um, In the footage, you see, well, we'll actually do a... Uh, Paul Lindman's own words, the reporter. Explosions in the movies usually look like a blast of fire and smoke. This one more resembled a mighty burst of tomato juice. (laughs) No! And the footage directly reflects that. It's incredible. (laughs) So... The footage is amazing. So it's live on the beach and you can hear people counting it down and then you hear like this old lady is like... You can take your hands out of your ears and then you start to see debris falling all around them and people almost die. So like giant pieces of whale are flying everywhere, Um, including a piece of blubber as large as a car tire (gasps) that landed and completely crushed Walt Eubenhofer's brand new Oldsmobile 88. So this idiot goes like a mile down the beach to watch this explosion, but he leaves his fucking car in the parking lot. It's like 200 yards away. The best part is his is the only car that gets hit. It's like a completely (laughs) full parking lot and only his gets hit by the blubber. Only his whale of a deal. Oh yeah. Good God. Amazing. Amazing. Um, What's incredible though, is that the county ended up buying his car from him. And apparently he was very pleased with it. He actually, Walt owns a gun shop in Eugene, oh, Oregon no now, way. and has a whole bunch of memorabilia from the event, but he hates talking about it, apparently. <laughs> Weird flex. The explosion covered a mile and a half radius, <gasps> just, uh, just whale detritus everywhere. Jesus. But oh. there was still multiple portions on the beach that weighed several tons. So it didn't even like get rid it of didn't... it, and they ended up having <laughs> Wait, to bury- you're telling me that old George didn't really, uh, his plan didn't go exactly to fruition there? It yep. did not. Uh, not only that, he was actually re-interviewed 20 years after the fact in 1991 by Paul Lindman again, the reporter. He went back to re-interview him about it. And uh, basically was like, so what went wrong? And George then refused to finish the interview because he believes nothing went wrong. Listen. I'm like, oh, with my perfect whale explosion? Fucking nothing. Yeah. Fuck you, Paul. Yeah. What happened also is... You know, their whole plan was to have seagulls basically pick away the rest of it and the crabs. Well, when they blew it up, the explosion was so loud that seagulls didn't return to the beach for two oh, months. That's my incredible. God. What George succeeded in doing was not removing the beach of a whale, but keeping a beached whale and then sharing some of that beached whale with the rest of the community within a mile and a half of its course. But no, but not any of the sea life that he wanted to share with. In that way, he did succeed. Uh, There's actually several fan websites that are still constantly (gasps) updated about this. There's the explodingwhale.com, which 
covers it. You know, they just celebrated the 49th exploding whale day anniversary, (laughs) November 12th of 2019. Um, There's also the truth about the exploding whale on offbeatorganhistory.com. What the fuck? Yeah. Um, this is oh, this this feels like the what topic within a what topic. Like you've brought an amazing <laughs> what topic, but we need to go deeper. This has spawned a cult following, like it's the Rocky yeah. Horror Picture Show. What the fuck, Mitch? I'm completely obsessed with this explodingwhale.com. Like the very top says, yeah, you, did you <laughs> yeah, the very top has a quote from Paul that again I feel like you kind of buried that says, "Blast, yes. blasted blubber beyond all believable bounds." <laughs> My favorite thing about this website is that it's just on the left-hand side. Yeah. Wow. Oh, yeah, that's true. It's one of those old, like, GeoCities style. That is my story. Uh, It's one of my favorite my favorite pieces of weird strange american history that i found mitch i loved it i'm gonna give you seven points just out of the gate i really enjoyed wonderful the particular image of just like the of vaporizing a whale with dynamite was particular was pleasing to oh, me. if you want the view i will send you the video and you can watch <laughs> it happen and i would love this. that that's one extra point <laughs> for the video and then one extra point for the fact that that man's car got destroyed because that's incredible to me i know that was one of my favorite parts of the story (laughs) i i love that this guy had so much expertise on how to blow up the whale um and then still left his car in the lot yeah and was like this is gonna be fine right here i'm gonna take off a point because i'm sad that the seagulls should have been feasting on that whale for a long time actually i had a two-month hiatus and that's sad for them i'm gonna give you eight points for being prepared coming clutch you had a narrative thorough line there was a, an act structure <laughs> happening an ensemble cast of characters thrown together in a sit thank I you loved it. i'm going to give you an additional three points because this Whoa. website is only on the far left of the screen <laughs> <laughs> i think that's so brave so it's like half a source <laughs> Max is trolling us from like two feet away. (laughs) And he's loving it. He just said, I wish I could read any of it. Mars is a virgin. (laughs) I have heard that about Miles. Chelsea, what is the title of your topic? Miles is a virgin. (laughs) What? (laughs) In this episode of what I will conclusively prove that Miles is a virgin. They've never known the sheath of a woman. Oh, what a horrible way to say it. My topic title is Sopranos, but make it bones. (laughs) So it's is it about prestige television? Uh, Prestige television comes into play, but that's not what the topic is about. Okay. Is it about? But make it bones. The. (laughs) Is it about? Um, the high octane, um, thrilling, deceitful world of paleontologists. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> 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 <laughs>
What the fuck is happening? We have guessed all three something. You didn't guess wow. mine. Yeah, you're explaining how you're a virgin. <laughs> I'll bring you home with Sopranos. But make it bones. But make it bones. But make it bones. Okay. So. You guys know how, like, whenever, like, you're hanging out with your boys in a marl pit, you know? Oh, Like, in New Jersey? Oh, yeah. Oh, fuck yeah. Just, like, always in that marl pit. Yeah. And then you see two dudes, and it seems like they're friends, but then they start warring. Yeah. Uh Uh-huh. Right. Oh, you mean Friday? (laughs) Oh, yeah. Like, like every Friday (laughs) of my life? Uh, Well, that's not your man's. That's the 1870s feud that both created paleontology as the American phenomenon that we know it today, and also almost destroyed it. Also known... As the Bone Wars. I was yes. so hoping you were going to say the Bone Wars. Oh, Bone Wars. my God. Bone Wars. Bone and no, Wars. we're not talking about Miles Luna's 30-year journey to try to lose his virginity. One day we're I'm so- going to get there. One day. <laughs> That's the Bone War. That's <laughs> just the singular war. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, the Why Bone Wars. <laughs> Tell me about the Bone Wars. Oh, my God. Was okay. Dr. Grant in there? Not so Crustaceous. Let's go back. Grant. Let's fast forward. Taking me back. To the late 1800s, also known as the Gilded Age of Natural History by someone. <laughs> Someone talks about that. That's the Gilded Age. Oh, the Gilded Age? Oh, yeah, you've been doing the Gilded Age of Natural yeah, History. Yeah, yeah, Definitely. Yeah, yeah. So this is the story of two men. Classic. Uh, Edward Drinker Cope of the Academy of Natural Sciences you in Philadelphia. made that name up. Didn't, did not, but I know that nobody's going to remember it. Here's Drink, the thing. Edward the other Drinker guy's Cope. name is, uh, and I'm not sure, I'm going to mispronounce this, Othmiel. <laughs> Othmiel Charles Marsh of the Peabody Museum of Natural History at Yale. So I know that that, that's so fucking dry. So this is what I propose. Uh, Edward Drinker Cope was really rich. He was born into like a fancy family. He lived a life of leisure. And for him, hunting for dinosaurs was sort of like a sport that he would do. He was also uh, kind of an idiot. He was like, yo, I want to hunt things, but I do fear for my life and don't want to encounter living creatures. But I found a cool bone in the backyard, uncle. So we're going to call him Rich Eddie because he sucks. Rich Eddie. And that's going to be easier to remember. Okay. And then Ogneal Charles Marsh, son of a farmer, unassuming Darwinist, who was just a highly obsessive collector from childhood and literally just obsessed with the pursuit of knowledge about these animals, these beasts. Mm. Uh, so we're going to call him the Marsh. The so Marsh. this is the story of the battle between Rich Eddie and the Marsh. And I think that we're going to be able to remember kind of oh each God. character archetype easier that way. Yes. Okay. I'm, I'm so fucking here. Rich, Rich Eddie, Eddie and the Marsh. Marsh. Rich Eddie and the Marsh is my new favorite, like CBS nighttime drama. Hell yeah. It's also well, a great so, band that's how, so you know, that's how the title came up is that there was shortly before James Gandolfini died, which I think ended the project or at least sped up its demise. He was attached to play, I believe, the Marsh in a prestige television drama about the Bone Wars. So that's why it's Sopranos, but make it bones. Wow. Um, Oh, okay. Yeah. The Marsh was a Darwinist. And like I said, this is in the late 1800s. But, you know, history really proved the Marsh right on that one. Rich Eddie was what was called a neo-Lamarckist, which we don't have to get super into. The TLDR on that is that he was wrong. Uh, but the longer answer which is kind of interesting is that there was a period of time in which people were like okay you know what 
I will give you that that like certain traits are inherited and you can see that fine. But they thought it was the specific trauma or environmental experiences that you experience in a single lifetime, which is fun because some of that we some of that we're actually coming back around to in a weird way in terms of like genetic memory. Mm. Which is like a topic that I oh, want to explore on the podcast and like at some point. Inherited trauma. Inherited trauma, stuff like that. But this was more like, uh, Miles, if I smashed your nose, <sighs> then like your kid might have a squash nose. I see. Which I is see, not I see. true. Yes. And then science. Uh, so, They're yeah. a little more in like the Steve Harvey camp of science. Yeah. So that, and again, that was Rich Eddie. So like, fuck Rich Eddie, right? <clears throat> at the beginning, they were friends because they traveled in the same circles. Oh, they were working on the same project. Always starts friends. And then actually, I think this is really sweet. They even named specific, like, species that they each discovered after each other. <laughs> oh, that's like, quite sweet. Like, Question. Men in the 1800s, much sweeter friends. Yes. Question, what animal would you discover that you would name after me? Oh, okay. Um, Example, if I found, like, a new species of hedgehog, I would name it after Miles. Oh, that's very sweet. If I met, if there was, like, a golden fox... <gasps> Like a yellow fox. Yeah, but like it's like shines like gold in the light, but it's like it's like soft and it like scampers and it's fast and it's in the woods. If I you found... would name that after Miles. After Miles Luna. No, I mean after you. Oh my gosh, I would like the Eleanorcus foxicus. I'd go. I'd actually go birds for both of you. Rude. So well, hold Ouch. on, hold on, wow. hold on. You watch this toucan birdie once. You're gonna bird me? Oh, now I now that is actually very deeply affecting my. No, I was gonna say like there was some sort of like golden eagle type thing or like a hawk. I'd be like the mania hawk. Okay. Be you. Chelsea, much more of the peacock like oh. nature, like absolutely just like big, loud, here in your face, beautiful. You're welcome. Oh, um, it is the boy peacocks that are sexy. Not this, not, not this one. Not this one. Not this one. If I found like a rare species of panther, <gasps> a I small mean, like, panther, like a smaller, but one. it was like a new species of like, like you know how we have like domestic cats and then we have big cats. Yeah. If we if we discovered medium cat, <laughs> <laughs> I would name it after Chelsea. Oh, thank you. Like Ew. big cat energy, but in a small package. Exactly. <laughs> Where, yeah, did we, yeah, where do we even middle, pick back up? I was in the middle of my bone wars. I totally forgot. So they were best friends, but they soured, and this is how it happened. We're back in the marl pit, you guys. Get okay. ready. So they find this marl pit in New Jersey. They both go uh, because the guy that owns the pit is like, I think there might be bones in here. And I think it's just like an important aside. Like, you know, like when I was growing up, I used to go to the Museum of Science and Natural History and like they literally had like a dino dig where you go and look at bones. Like, oh, hell yeah. like I grew up with yes. dinosaurs. There was never wondrous to me in, insofar as like it was wondrous in the context of everything I was learning about the world was wondrous, but it wasn't new. Right. And so this is so fascinating to me to think about like adult men finding bones the size of their whole body and not and just like being the ones to figure out what the fuck this means. Yeah. Um, it would be it would be it would be like if today we we're like guys there's bones in clouds. What? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, they have a, they they huh? seem to have a whole circulatory system too. Yeah. What the fuck? We got to go harvest them clouds. We got to get up there and get those cloud bones. Yeah. No one knew what dinosaurs was back in the 1800s. They were like 
Oh, y'all, we found lizards that ate the giant magical beanstalk beans and got real big because we do cocaine and think that it's good for our bodies. Welcome to the 1800s. So these two adult men, they hear that North America, <laughs> lousy with bones. Lousy with bones. Fucking everywhere. I played Red Dead Redemption bones. too. I know. Yeah. And so they're like, they hear that there's this marl pit, which we all know what that is. Uh, and it's going to be full of bones. Wait, time out. Wait, hold on. Time out. You are saying marble pit, right? Marl. I don't, I don't know what that is. Oh, I thought we all knew what a marl pit no, was. No, please tell it's me. It's definitely not like I had to Wikipedia what a marl pit was. It <laughs> kept coming up when I was researching this. It's just really calcified mud. Okay. okay. So everyone's cool. They... Go and look at this bone. They're like, mm, I'm good day, sir. Oh, I'm good day, sir, to you, sir. Then and leave. also to you. But the marsh, and what I admit was like, not the coolest move. Went back and bribed the owner of the pit of, hey, if you find any more bones, give Aren't me you, a call. Yeah, give me a call. Don't let them, oh, don't let them know. the marsh started it? Marsh, well, there had been like some friendly rivalry up until that point, but that was what mo- many scholars think is the breaking point. Rich Eddie found out it was a complete dissolution of their friendship. They started going back and forth and talking shit about each other via publication. Oh, that was people, big back in the day. That's how we talked shit about each other. Yeah. Uh, we all know that from Hamilton. But the real nail in the coffin <laughs> and my favorite part of this, maybe my favorite part of this entire story is that they keep going back and forth. They keep insulting each other's work. But then the nail in the coffin was that the Marsh humiliated Rich Eddie by pointing out that Eddie had put the head of a dinosaur on the wrong end of the skeleton in one of his most famous drawings of a dinosaur Ooh. skeleton oh. of an elasmosaurus. Can you imagine? Embarrassing. So you know yeah, what? so he thought he put the head on the tail because he thought that was the neck. And when people found that out wow. about Rich Eddie, oh, they laughed at you know him what? in the streets. You know what this reminds me of? What? You know what this makes me think of? This just feels like the 1800s version of people getting into an argument each other in the comment section of an internet yes. video. Or like, like you blew it and you blew it big. You yeah. blew it, you blew <laughs> it big. There's blew like, it, big. it is the biggest victory in the world and the biggest defeat in their career for these two people. No one else gives a single shit. Yeah. Oh yeah, you know what it reminds me of? It's like when people do like the response video. Where oh, it's like, this yes. is my response to Rich Eddie who said that I put the head on the wrong side. Well, fuck you, dude. Your whole head is on the wrong side of your your body yeah the, like, the, the, like the fucking title of the video is like bon appetit all caps the marsh done fucked it again like that's <laughs> like yeah with like 10 question marks oh yeah and a we, thumbnail of a woman in bikini for no reason anyway by 1973 they were absolutely at each other's throats mm. uh they got in the habit of play like traveling to places like uh montana finding a new bone and then finding, there's like quotes on that, finding a new bone. I have a bone. <laughs> I have a bone. I found a bone. But here's the thing. It's, you know, it's the 1800s. So what do they do? They send a telegram back to the East Coast. Miles is having a moment. Yeah. No, please share with the group. It just seems like the logical conclusion to this rivalry that started off as a... <laughs> That started off as a friendship where they are naming bones and dinosaurs after one another. Ends with like the marsh discovering a new dinosaur and calling it like the Rich Eddie's dumbest fuckasaurus. (laughs) Well, not quite. Eddie's a little bitchosaurus. (laughs) The marsh is definitely a version pleiosaurus. They would find a new bone. Mm. 
They couldn't very well hop online. They couldn't snap a pic Mm-mm. to your Twitter and say, here's my bone. So they'd have to send a telegram back and be like, attention, stop. I've discovered a new bone, stop. I call it the Rich Eddie Saxosaurus, stop. Uh, so what ha- happened Sag. was they just kept discovering the same goddamn bones over and over again. <laughs> I found a uh, bone. What a couple of fucking nerds. <laughs> so it's not super clear, obviously, because we weren't in their heads, whether or not like they knew and they were just so obsessed with beating the other person that they would rather take credit for something that was going to later be dis- possibly be discredited to get the initial glory. Mm-hmm. Or if like, you know, because there was no, there was no way to get that information in real time if they really thought... They were just discovering new shit, which is also very much possible. Uh, It's so bad that at one point, they discovered the same dinosaur over 20 times and just gave it a new (laughs) name each time. (laughs) (laughs) Like, that's how bad it got. So, sad part is, is that this rivalry lasted until their deaths. Uh, It ruined both of them, both socially and financially. (laughs) Don't fucking say. No one wanted to hear about it anymore. No one gave a shit. And they spent all of their money to continue to do these excavations all over the country. I love to like continue the idea of the Sopranos. Their wives are like, "Are you guys serious? (laughs) What's the best? Like, will you please stop giving a fuck about these fucking dinosaurs? These fucking bounds. I like that accent. It's very strong. Uh, no, that's what I kept thinking about, though, was, like, the when, uh, you know, the Marsh pointed out that uh, Rich Eddie Rich Eddie put the head on the wrong side of the animal. Mm-hmm. And it's just, like, he wakes up, and his wife's like, Eddie, what's wrong? And he's like, Eleanor, I've been positively ruined. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> he's, I must away to London immediately. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so they were both ruined. Rich Eddie had to sell part of his collection, which, like, boo-hoo. But the Marsh, who didn't have any kind of familial wealth, had to basically beg for money from Yale and, like, ask for, like, a living stipend. This, kind of, like, in the same theme as uh, Callie from Eve Online, is uh, very much hashtag goals. Uh, Rich Eddie died first. He had his skull donated to science because he demanded, he issued a challenge, like, like, on his deathbed to the Marsh. And said, I'm going to have my brain measured. And when you die, you have your brain measured too. And then we'll see whose brain was bigger. Holy oh shit. My. These two guys <laughs> wanted to fuck so bad. <laughs> they wanted to fuck so bad. That was so... the real Bone Wars. <laughs> The Bone Wars behind the Bone Wars. The Cold Bone Wars. <laughs> so the Marsh just was like, no. <laughs> oh, you fucking oh, do that. Fuck yeah, the Marsh. And so uh, Rich Eddie's brain is still preserved at his alma mater in Pennsylvania. <laughs> just waiting. Like that brain's just there. It's like, you suck. Oh, just one of these my fucking God. Days. One of these fucking days. The more complicated thing is their legacy. Because on one hand, The fact that the Bone Wars even happened, it really contributed to our American cultural fascination with dinosaurs that definitely like pervades to this day, Hmm. uh, as evidenced by things like Jurassic Park. I think the thing that really, you know, has helped interest in dinosaurs is, um, dinosaurs. But maybe that's just me. Well, my boyfriend said that he went through a dinosaur phase because before that he went through a dragon phase, but then he learned the dragons weren't real and dinosaurs were. And so it was like, sort of like a, I have to grow up. I'm going to be a man someday. Like, I have to, like, <laughs> love dinosaurs. I like, know. He's, he's thinking all this when 
he's like five. I know your boyfriend, and that's the most your boyfriend shit you have said in ages. Well, like, father, I have to put, it's time to put childish things away and love dinosaurs. Anyway, I'm going to first grade now, later. So anyway, so they have a lasting, obviously they have a lasting contribution to our understanding of dinosaurs. They discovered, like, some of like the dinosaurs that we're the most familiar with were like Triceratops and Stegosaurus. Also the Marsh, aka the goat. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was like one of the first people to put forth the 100% correct theory that modern day birds are descended oh, from shit. dinosaurs. Which would have been absolutely fucking benankers to say <laughs> in like the late 1800s. But the fucked up part. He was like, consider birds. And everyone's like, Okay. They're like, if you're sure. Uh, you're birds sh- fly in the sky and dinosaur bones are found in the ground. Checkmate. Yeah, that's what Rich Eddie said. Because he was like, uh, new Lamarckism, which clearly is going to stand the test of time. Uh, yeah. No, so that was really cool. And like, those things are really important. And it's it's really, it's honestly hard to, it's hard to imagine what paleontology as a field would be like today without the Martian and Rich Eddie. Wow. But on the other hand, they did... Their single-minded rivalry did so much damage to paleontology. Like, this is a... Like, one is the amount of time that they spent, you know, finding the same bones over and over again that created, like, this really sort of complex web of inaccurate information that took decades to unravel. Would you say they were making fake news? I might say that. There are a lot of sources online that say that something that they used to do was one of them would get to a dig site, would find the bones that they found during the course of their expedition. Like they say they planned for like a two month expedition or whatever. And then at the end of that time, they would put dynamite in the site and blow it up so that the other oh, person couldn't come. No. So they might be like so there might, loads so of dinosaurs they, that yeah, they destroy. Modern day paleontologists estimate that hundreds of specimens God were, damn it, Rich were lost. I found one source that was like, um, people who say that they would put dynamite are actually inaccurate. They And I was like, oh, and they're like, they just filled them in with like cement and stuff. And I was like, that's not better. Can I do a very quick, what do you call it, a what bang? So fact, fact bang. bang. Fact bang. Can I do a quick fact bang? Yeah, but so what, the way that this works is I'm gonna sing fact bang, and then you're gonna like come in with like a little like smooth like yeah or like yeah, whatever you yeah, wanna yeah, say. Yeah. Okay, so ready? Fact bang. Dynamite. Perfect. Cool. Really good. So, really good. Um, my dinosaur professor in college was friends with the guy who discovered. The Dilophosaurus. Does anyone here remember who Dilophosaurus is? This guy. And now Ellie is making a big frilled lizard. Uh, it's the guy uh, that killed Newman, right? And I'm so glad you do that. He the killed guy, Newman, right? Yeah. The, okay. the, in Jurassic Park, the Dilophosaurus is the dinosaur that fans out its neck like a frilled lizard and spits venom in Newman's face and then eats him. And none of that shit is anything close to what the Dilophosaurus did. The guy that discovered the Dilophosaurus called up my professor so excited one day, telling him, hey, because it was a pretty recent discovery, hey, they're gonna put my dinosaur in the Jurassic Park movie. And I'm so excited. They're they're (laughs) gonna put my discovery in a movie that millions of people are gonna watch. And then that movie came out, and then my professor got another call from this guy saying, 
fuck Steven Spielberg. <laughs> because Steven Spielberg took many creative liberties with the Dilophosaurus and decided to take what was just an interestingly shaped skull with two wedges on the top and turned it into a frilled lizard venom spitting monster. And this dude wanted Steven Spielberg's head on a fucking spike. Um, Rate me, please. I have so many points for you, Chelsea. Oh my God. Um, points. Okay. I'm going to give you five points right off the bat for sharing a story about um, the harm of friendly rivalry. Mm. I'm going to (laughs) subtract two points for uh, informing me that these two assholes blew up or cemented a fuck ton of dino DNA. Because that's upsetting to me. But then I'm going to give you eight points. (gasps) Whoa! Oh my god. Because I still haven't grown out of that dinosaur phase. Aw, that's why I picked this topic specifically for you, Miles. (laughs) That's true, you did say you were excited to present this to Miles. You did. Um, Chelsea, 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 Chelsea. That's me. Bone Wars. With the undercurrent of the true Bone Wars, the coal Bone Wars, that these two guys wanted to bang so bad. So fucking hard. (laughs) That they made it all about dinosaurs. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to give you, I'm going to start off with a base of seven points. Oh my God. Oh my God. I'm going to add a point for flair. For flair? For flair. There's a little bit of flair. I'll, I'll admit that. I am going to subtract one point. Yeah. For the numerous points of screaming. Yeah, that's true. That is real. Um, but I'm going to give three points. There's a lot of math. Yeah. No, I'm there. I'm still with her. <laughs> three points for um, research, to be honest. Like, yeah. that was amazing. It was a really well, thoroughly researched topic. It was, it was like, I, I, you know, I love a rivalry. It was, it was the makings of an Uncharted game. I would play that game with you gladly. Burn Wars. Bone Wars. Let's go find some dinosaurs. Guys, let's find some fucking bones. So what's your what's your what's your title? I well, I think ten from you and eleven from Miles. That'll oh, be then you're the runaway winner of this episode, Chelsea. The runaway winner of this episode nice. of what? Remember? You should just call your cat Miles. I don't want to talk about it. Let Ellie do her podcast. <laughs> <laughs> That was our Christmas compilation featuring Miles Luna, Elisa D'Agostino, Mitchell Donahue, myself, Ellie Main, and Chelsea Harfouche. You can find Chelsea Harfouche at Chelsea Harfouche, wherever the internets are sold. And I'm Ellie Main on Instagram and Ellie Mainy on Twitter. And the podcast What, you can find at WhatPod on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, Patreon, and Redbubble. And our website, should you want to send us a message, is thosetwogirls.club. Have a very, very Merry Christmas and maybe, I don't know, go learn something. And at this point, Chelsea would say, keep it loose, keep it tight, say your prayers at night. Merry Christmas. (laughs) 